You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Liberty Family Church. For more information about our church, head to the website, libertyfamilychurch.net.au. And today we wrap up our series in Ephesians. Who's been enjoying our exploration of Ephesians over the last few months? I, for one, have been super encouraged and have grown heaps in my own faith and my own love for Jesus as a result of going through this series with you guys. What a blessing the Apostle Paul is and his letter to the church in Ephesus is to us today as well. Okay, so we're going to wrap up today by exploring the rest of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10 to 24, where Paul brings home some crucial truths, some key truths for followers of Jesus who want to live and embrace and enjoy the fullness of new life with Christ and serve Jesus with everything they've got. Does that sound good to you? I, for one, want that for sure. So how does Paul do that? Well, Paul does that by reminding us that we are actually in a daily battle. A daily battle, a battle. We have a very real enemy, Paul says, who is actively working to destroy us. And and this is good news for us in the midst of bad news about being at war and with an enemy. God has provided every single thing that we need, all that we need to fight this battle and to be ultimately victorious through his strength. So what's the battle we're in? And Who is the enemy that we are facing each and every day? Well, let's find out as we explore the final verses of Ephesians in chapter 6. So let's just pray first and devote this time and just thank God for what he's been doing in each of our hearts as we've explored Ephesians together over the last little while. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Paul, the Apostle Paul, and this beautiful letter, this encouraging, this challenging letter to the church in Ephesus. And we just pray, God, that you would open our ears and open our eyes and open our hearts again this morning, Lord, that as we come to an end of our exploration of Ephesians at this point in time, as our series wraps up, we pray, God, that this would even just be the start of something new and fresh for us in 2022, of embracing the new life, embracing what it means to follow Jesus, embracing what it means to love God and love others in light of the gospel in deeper ways this year. So God, we pray that you would just speak through me, that I would get out of the way and that you would just speak powerfully, bringing bringing hope, bringing encouragement, bringing correction where we need it, Lord, bringing whatever it is that you want to give to us today. So we pray this, God, that you would move in power and that you would bring home the wonder of how not only do you look after us in the midst of the battle, but you give us the tools to overcome and to win in your strength and yours alone. So we pray, God, that you would just have your way in us and speak through me, I ask, for your glory and yours alone. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, let's start this morning by reading Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Finally, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, 
Take up the whole armour of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Well, naturally, when you're in a battle, you need to be strong, don't you? And Paul, in verse 10, he he explains how it is that we are made strong. Let's check this out. We're made strong in the Lord, Paul says, through his strength and his strength alone. Verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. You know, we aren't strong alone. We can't be strong alone, but we can be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. We can't win any spiritual battle without Jesus. Newsflash, it's pretty obvious, but sometimes we think in some weird way that we're okay just by ourselves. We are not. We are in a dangerous position if we try and stand and stand in our own strength and not in the power of Holy Spirit. We can't win the battle alone, but we can win the battle in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Would you agree with that? We'll have a look at some of the key ways we are strengthened for battle in in just a little while. But before we do that, let's just look at the start of verse 11, where Paul calls us to get dressed appropriately for battle. Here's what Paul says. Put on the whole armor of God. The Greek word for the whole armor, panoplia, refers to the complete equipping of a soldier with all the the equipment with both offensive and defensive weapons or tools. Serious weapons that are designed to protect, are designed to defend, and also to equip the soldier to go on the attack effectively against some pretty dangerous enemies. And in the second part of Ephesians 6, 11 through 12, Paul reminds the people of Ephesus of the day and those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ today, or perhaps if you're seeking spiritual truth, those of us who soon will be followers of Jesus Christ, exactly who our enemy is. The devil, Satan himself. Reading from Ephesians 6, verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There you go. Paul really couldn't put it any plainer, any clearer for any of us to hear that. We are, Paul says, we are in a daily spiritual battle and our foe, our enemy is Satan himself. We're daily wrestling, not against physical powers or or people, flesh and blood, 
but against cosmic powers, spiritual forces of evil that are in operation in the unseen spiritual realm and world all around us. You know, the Apostle Paul clearly believes this. And in a very real sense, he follows on from where Jesus left off. What did a lot of Jesus' earthly ministry focus on? I'm sure you're saying it. I can even hear you saying it. Dealing with the demonic. That is what he spent a lot of his time investing his energies in. You only need to look at the Gospels to see that that is true. Now, when it comes to the demonic or even the spiritual realm, for a range of reasons, we really struggle, don't we? Or many of us really struggle when it comes to the demonic. I like how the, the great thinker, the great Christian, the great writer, C.S. Lewis, explains the two errors that we as human beings and often as followers of Jesus kind of gravitate towards when it comes to the demonic. Here's what he says. When it comes to the demonic, people usually fall into one of two errors. Either they take him altogether too seriously or they do not take him seriously enough. That's so true, isn't it? I'm sure even right now we can think of people we know who fall into either error camp on either side. And here's the thing, let's be honest with ourselves. I'm sure if we're not already sitting in one of those camps or maybe we've sat in both over time, there's no doubt that all of us uh, tend to fall on either extreme if we're really honest. It's quite hard to find a healthy middle ground. You know, perhaps you can think of someone you know who fits in well with this first erroneous position. Maybe it's a friend who, when their car runs out of petrol, they, they get out of the car, they start ranting and raving at the devil, speaking in tongues, rebuking Satan for his, his attack on them and how, you know, Satan's inconvenienced them as they're trying to go about their, their everyday lives of worshipping God and serving him. Now, you know, I know that's a silly example. I'll, I'll give you that. But let's be straight here. If your car runs out of petrol, it's not Satan's fault. It's your fault. Yeah, I've run out of petrol before. It wasn't Satan's fault. It was simply my fault. What did I do wrong? I didn't look at the gauge. Or if I did look at the gauge, I spent too many kilometers trying to see how many kilometers I could get while driving with a fuel gauge saying a big zero. Has anyone been there before? I'm sure you have. Here's the thing, not every single inconvenience that we face in life can be attributed to the devil's evil schemes and trying to derail us and keep us from loving God, can it? Let's be real, that if we think that every single one can, then actually that's a pretty dangerous kind of error we're making. Now, at the same time, we can make an equally dangerous error in thinking that Satan just doesn't exist or Satan isn't actively working to derail us in life, for, to stop us from loving and seeking and knowing and enjoying the freedom that is ours and God loves to offer to anyone who would humbly seek his face. That's a super dangerous error that we are susceptible to making as well. As J.D. Greer, a pastor from the U.S. says, he, he puts it really well, he says this, not only does ignoring Satan's existence ignore a significant theme in the scriptures, if what Jesus said is true, it would be like walking onto the beaches of Normandy with no clue that there was an enemy with machine guns pointed right 
at you. Look, if this is where you're at today, let me say this again, in love, and this is in love. Satan's real. Satan is real. Let's not pretend that he doesn't exist. He does. Paul believed it. Jesus believes it. And because of that, we need to believe it too. Satan is real. He wants to seek and kill and destroy you. That is why he exists. That is his mission in this life. This is what he does. We're in a battle and our enemy is real. And Paul says, the Bible says, the Council of Scripture says that our enemy is Satan himself. Now, neither of these extremes are healthy or where God would long for us to kind of find a place and sit. We need to, as best we can, try and discern and be wise and find a healthy middle ground. We need to acknowledge two things. Number one, yes, Satan does exist and is working to destroy me and keep me from loving God and loving others. And at the same time, two, we need to be careful to not get all super spiritual and think that every single hardship or trouble or inconvenience that we face has been brought about by the direct intervention and hand of Satan. Yeah? Now, here's some really good news for all of us. And we need to recognize this and take hold of this and own this and feel this deep in our hearts as we go into battle. And it's this, the battle has already been won. Ultimately, the battle has already been won. Satan has been defeated. He was no match and he continues to be no match at all for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus is victorious and he will always be victorious over Satan's evil schemes. Paul, the Apostle Paul, he writes about this in another one of his letters in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 15. He, being Jesus, disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Isn't that great news? Isn't that sensational news? We don't need to enter into battle with Satan wondering if good is going to overcome evil. Good has already won. Good has already won. Jesus has already ultimately defeated Satan and has the ultimate victory in his death, burial and resurrection from the dead as he hung on Calvary's cross. We don't need to face Satan's temptations and tricks in life and wonder, kind of think, "Mm, can we overcome here? Jesus has already defeated Satan and has the ultimate victory and is the great thing. He will lead us and empower us to stand against Satan and experience victory through his power and his strength alone. Now, unfortunately, Satan is kind of like one of those annoying dogs that no matter what happens and no matter how many times you tell them to go away and go away and go away, they just keep coming back and standing at your feet and get your trip up over them and all that sort of thing. No matter what, Satan just tries and tries and tries again. Just because he's been defeated and he can't stand doesn't mean that he doesn't try. And it doesn't mean that he still doesn't try to destroy us and derail us and keep us captive and away from God's best for us. Of course, that's what he does. As Jesus said in pointing out what it is Satan is here to do, what his role is, what 
what his job description is, Satan's own developed job description is, if you like, in John 10.10. He says, the thief, being Satan, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now, here's more good news. As I mentioned before, we don't fight these battles in our own strength, but God strengthens, he equips, and he clothes us ready for battle. We go into our daily spiritual battle with Satan, knowing that God's got the ultimate victory, that God's got our backs, and God's going to lead us into battle and towards victory over Satan. So we know the battle we're in. We know who our enemy is. But what about this armor? What is the armor of God? Well, Paul describes this armor in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 13 through 17. Here's what he says. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now, look, we could spend all day digging deep into all the, the symbolism and all the meaning behind each of these things. We're not going to do that today. We'll do it briefly. But first, let me just say a big picture idea, a big picture takeaway from this passage. And it's this, the armor of God protects and equips us completely for battle and helps us to stand firm and resist Satan's evil schemes. Now, obviously, we can't just go down to a Christian bookstore and buy the armor of God. Paul is talking here, uh, what he's describing is actually a metaphor. It's a picture of these pieces that, that are symbolic of the sort of things that we are to, to put on and, and keep in mind and, and pray that God would, would move through and use in our lives to keep us safe. They're not things we need to get physically dressed in each day. The point Paul's making in this passage here is that all of these things are resources given to us by our awesome, generous, good God that if we, if we wear them or, or put them on, if we embrace them, they will fully equip us, fully equip us to engage in spiritual warfare as against Satan in our day-to-day lives. God has given us not a partial covering, not an almost full covering, but God has given us a complete armor so that we're covered and protected from our tip of our heads to the very ends of our toes. So you might be thinking, well, what pieces of armor are we actually covered with? Well, the Bible there lists six pieces in total. The belt, breastplate, shoes, shield, helmet, and sword. And as we see Paul explain in this passage, the belt is a metaphor for truth. The breastplate is a metaphor for righteousness. The shoes, a metaphor for the gospel. The shield, a metaphor for faith. The helmet, a metaphor for salvation. And the sword, a metaphor for the word of God. So what do all these, let's get into the symbolism a little bit. Like I can hear that at that level, but let's dig a little bit deeper 
together and discover some more symbolism and richness of what these items represent. Well, if we think about the belt, if we think about the belt, it, it goes around our core, doesn't it? That's what you do with a belt. Not only does it hold our, our pants up or, or keep our tummy nice and in place, a belt also serves to hold all pieces of clothing together. So when Paul encourages us to put on the belt of truth, he's encouraging us to have the, the truth very much at the core of our beings to surround us, to, to gird us up, I guess, to use Old Testament language. And scripture says that this truth is not only a belief or a doctrine, but it's actually a person. Jesus makes this clear through what he says in John chapter 14 and verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's it right there, friends. Jesus is ultimately truth. He is truth. So Paul's encouraging us to ensure that Jesus is at the very core of our lives. Ensure that we've, you know, trusted in in Jesus, that we've found forgiveness and freedom through accepting his sacrifice is sufficient on the cross for our sins and then allowing him the room and the right to guide us and hold everything together in our lives. That's what Paul's getting at. I'm sure you can, you can appreciate how the truth protects us and helps us to, to stand against Satan. And the next piece of armor is kind of linked to the breastplate of righteousness. Again, in and of ourselves, you know, we're, we're not good. We're not righteous. We're sinful. We're fallen human beings. But here's the incredible thing. This is the wonder of the gospel and our standing with God because of Jesus. When we've placed our faith in Jesus, we are immediately declared righteous before God. Why? Because of Jesus' atoning sacrifice on the cross for our sins. And when we come to that place of faith, at that very moment, Jesus actually gifts us his righteousness. Theologians call it the imputed righteousness, literally like given righteousness, popped in righteousness. We're given Jesus' righteousness like that. So because we're in Jesus and Holy Spirit now dwells within us, spiritually, before God, we are righteous. We are blameless in God's sight. Jesus' own perfect, sinless, wonderful righteousness becomes ours. And we are therefore perfectly righteous. Isn't that incredible? And this is what the breastplate of righteousness is reminding us of, our perfect, blameless, righteous standing in Christ, how God sees us. And this is important. This is really important, as we'll see soon. But it's really important when we're making a stand against Satan that we are very much aware and reminding ourselves of how God sees us and our standing in him because of Jesus. So, I'm sure you can see how this knowledge protects us and helps us in our stand against Satan. And the third piece of armor is the shoes of peace, the gospel. Paul's speaking here of how we are called to be bearers of good news, to be carriers of good news. As followers of Jesus, living the new life in light of the gospel, out of love and adoration and joy in Christ, 
God calls us to be carriers of the good news of the gospel, to share it with others as we stand against Satan. Now, if you've ever heard anyone share on this, on this passage of scripture before, you might have heard people say that the sword of the spirit is the only offensive weapon that God gives us. But I, I just don't think that that's actually true. Because as we share the good news of the gospel with other people, as we are carriers and, and sharers of and bearers of the good news, we're actually getting on the offensive. We're, we're, we're making an attack in the spiritual realm. We're taking ground spiritually. We're moving forward. We're not stationary. We're not defensive. But we are moving forward, taking spiritual ground for the kingdom, being bearers of hope and light into hopeless situations and into places of darkness. And I would suggest that that is actually very much an offensive weapon. And this active stepping in terms of the peace, in terms of sharing the gospel on our part, it works against Satan in two key ways. One, it overcomes his work in our own lives. And two, as we, as we share the gospel with other people, it actually brings about hope and overcomes the, the work, his work in other people's lives as well. I read that quote from C.S. Lewis earlier, but what did C.S. Lewis say before about a catastrophic mistake that people can so easily make? To not believe that the devil exists. And that's so true. It's, it's a big, big mistake that all of us, Christian or not, seeker, anyone else could make. But a far bigger and a far more catastrophic people mistake people make is to not even believe that God exists. But not only that, because as scripture says, even the demons believe that God exists and shudder. So it's not only belief, but the thing is, the biggest mistake that people can make is understand that there's a God, but then not seek out relationship and freedom through forgiveness in him. And why is that? Well, simply because, and this isn't super PC to say and you know, maybe I'll offend someone in saying this, but this is what the Bible says. I'm just the messenger. Here's the reality. Uh, for anyone who does not bow the knee before Jesus' throne in this life, the Bible says they will spend an eternity separated from Jesus in hell. It's as simple as that. Not just, you know, a short time, not just, and then they'll have a chance to, to repent again. No, the time is now. Salvation is now. We need to turn to Jesus in this life, the Bible says, and embrace life and, and avoid the, the absolute pitfalls of an eternity spent in separation from God in hell. And, you know, this is pretty obvious, but I'm going to say it. Satan hates it when people know and love God. And he absolutely loves it when people don't, when people don't know and love God and go through their whole lives without actually enjoying and finding relationship with him. So, Part of our role as followers of Jesus in standing is it's not only for our own good, but also for the good of other people, other believers, no doubt, no question, but also those who don't yet know and love Jesus Christ. And we do this, we do this, friends, by being bearers of peace, of being bearers of the gospel, being sharing the good news with other people. And I'm sure you can appreciate how sharing the gospel protects us and helps us make a stand against Satan. All right, next one. The shield is a metaphor for faith. Notice the words that the Apostle Paul writes just before 
listing the shield. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. I think it's pretty clear from the way Paul's written this that he is trying to highlight just how important this shield is. In all circumstances, take up the shield. And what does the shield do? Paul writes here, it helps us to extinguish all of the flaming darts of the evil one. Not some, not most, but all. And what are the flaming darts that Satan so often sends our way? Lies. Lies. Satan wants us to be confused, to question our worth, to even go so far as to question our own salvation. So how can we extinguish these dangerous darts from the evil one? Quite simple, really, by reminding ourselves, placing our faith completely in what is true, in truth, in what God says. So when a dart comes your way and, you know, the dart says that you are a worthless person, that you are a worthless, sorry excuse for a human being, you can hear that. And then you can make a stand against that, knowing that that is absolutely a lie. That is not at all what God thinks. And you replace that lie with the truth. Psalm 139 and verse 14, for example. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Perhaps when a dart comes your way telling you that that you are just such a dirty, rotten sinner, And this time, what you've done is just too far. How could God possibly forgive you after the 759th time that you have fallen short in this particular battle? You can go, right, I'm not listening to that, Satan, and I'm going to replace that lie with the truth and quote something like Lamentations 3, 32 to 33. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You get the idea. I'm sure you can see why taking up the shield of faith protects us and helps us to stand against Satan. Okay, here's the fifth, the helmet of salvation. Simply put, Paul's reinforcing something that he's already touched on in sort of, it's insinuated in all that he's said thus far. We're strong And we can stand against Satan when we have the truth about our salvation and the wonder of all that it means and all that we have and all that we are because of Christ really sitting in our heads and ruminating in our minds, permeating our minds. You know, this is what Paul's getting at. When we have our salvation on our heads or in our heads, in our minds, we are ruminating on truth. We are thinking about the wonder of the gospel. We are allowing our minds to be filled with wonder as we reflect on and marvel at and celebrate the incredible love and mercy and freedom that we are beneficiaries of simply by the grace of Jesus Christ. Again, I'm sure you can see how putting on this helmet of salvation protects us and helps us to stand against Satan. Okay, here's the final piece of armor the sword of the spirit, the word of God. This is, as some of you might know, this is the main offensive weapon that God equips us with in our battle against Satan. 
it's telling, I think it's really telling that when Jesus, when God in the flesh, who we've just celebrated at Christmas, when Jesus grew up and became a man and he had his temptation, his moment of temptation in the desert with Satan trying to derail him and and keep him from going through with his great rescue plan, he utilized what? The sword in making his stand against Satan. You can read about this temptation for yourself in Matthew chapter 4. When Satan first tried to tempt him, Jesus replied with, it is written. And when Satan tried again, Jesus replied again, it is written. And when Satan tried one last time, Jesus replied, be gone, Satan, for it is written. Do you notice the theme there? Every time Satan tried to to derail Jesus and twist scriptures and blatantly lie to God himself, how did Jesus respond? Jesus responded each time by quoting a passage of scripture every single time. Now, let's think about this logically. If Jesus did this himself in his stand, in his time of really actively standing against Satan while Satan was throwing his best his way, how much more important do you think it is for us to be quoters of scripture, to be people who who quote scripture in return and say to Satan, well, you're saying that, but no, 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 no. In my Bible, it says this. God says this about me, Satan. That is not true. This is true. How much more important do you think it is for us to quote when we stand against Satan? And here's the thing. Really, we can only successfully do this. We can only successfully do this by setting aside time to sit at Jesus' feet and just be immersed immerse ourselves in God's word. Now, you know, we're all busy, aren't we? And sometimes we kind of think, oh, I don't really have time to read the Bible. Let's just, let's just cut it right there. Let's just, let's just stop right now. Before you say you don't have time to read the Bible, let's say what we're really saying when we say that. What we're saying is we're choosing to prioritize other things before reading the Bible. That's what we're actually saying, aren't we? If we think about it, we've all got... 24 hours in the day, and we can all, to a, to a large degree, I know with young children, I'm in that season right now, sometimes we've only got a couple of hours a day where we can really choose what we actually want to do in our days, but we still choose and prioritize things to fill our days with. And so I reckon, wouldn't it be great in 2022 if we were people who set aside time each and every day, even if it was just five minutes, just five minutes a day to really sit in, our, in God's word and invite God to speak to us through his spirit as we read his word. Wouldn't that be a powerful thing? just want to encourage you, don't, don't fall for that lie because really Satan loves that lie. He loves that lie that we're just too busy or we don't have time to read God's word. We always have time and we can, if we choose to, we can make time to read God's word. And what could be more important, friends, than reading the truth and immersing ourselves in the truth, God's great gift to us in the form of his written word. Nothing at all. All of us, we can set aside time for the things that really matter. Now, here's the thing. Not only is the Bible an amazing gift for us, the Bible, the word of God, the truth, is the only thing that can actually stand against and counteract Satan's lies. It's, it's the only thing. And when we consume it, when we, as the psalmist writes in 
Psalm 119 and verse 97. When we love the word and meditate on it day and night, we are immersing ourselves in truth and we're preparing ourselves for the battle that will come. It will come. I like this quote also from J.D. Greer on this. He says, learn it, read it, memorize it, meditate on it, be so saturated with it that when life cuts you, you bleed God's word. I love that quote. And look, man, how good would it be that we would read it, that we would know it, that we would memorize it, that we would be be um, just kind of just immersing ourselves in it so regularly that we would be so filled with truth that when life, or I reckon when Satan comes and tries to cut us, we can immediately, the first thing that comes to our mind is not an expletive and comes out of our mouths, but is actually the word of God. Wouldn't that be incredible? How good would that be? No doubt you can appreciate how the taking up the sword of the spirit protects us and helps us to stand against Satan. Okay, so look, I would be doing a disservice to all of us and to Paul's heart in the way that he's structured and written Ephesians if I didn't point this out at as we bring our series to a close. Prayer is everything. Prayer is everything. Prayer, direct, two-way conversation between us and God is the very key to living the new life well. And as we'll see, it's the key to winning the many spiritual battles that we are going to face in this life. And Paul, he makes this clear. He knows this. He knows this from his own experience. And he makes it clear in his encouragement to the church in Ephesus and to us as New Testament believers today in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18 through 20, when he urges us to be praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. Not just in the battle, not just when we're facing spiritual opposition, but in preparing for and for praying and thanking God after the spiritual battle when he once again has come through powerfully for us. We are to pray at all times. And here's the thing we see, not only in this passage, we see that not only are we to pray for ourselves at all times, but we're to pray for others too, the saints, other believers. Paul asked the church in Ephesus to even pray for himself in verses 19 and 20, that God would what? Give him the words to proclaim the mystery of the gospel with boldness. That's what he asks for right here in this passage. So prayer is not so much a piece of armor as such, but it's a foundational spiritual practice that protects us and helps us to stand against Satan. And here's the thing, and I love this about prayer. Maybe you're experiencing this in our month of prayer and fasting, even right now in January. God loves to connect with us. It's such a beautiful thing to be able to talk with our Creator. 
Not only does prayer protect and help us to stand against Satan, but prayer connects us to God. Prayer connects us to our Father. It connects us and aligns us with the one we love and the one who loves us. The one we long to serve, the one who is our strength and the one who will empower and lead us in living the new life, in living in light of his glorious gospel. Friends, it is no coincidence. It's no coincidence at all that Paul finishes his letter to the Ephesians by emphasizing the important place, the important role that prayer plays in living the new life in Christ, in living in light of the gospel. So, As we close today and as we close our Ephesians series, that's what we're going to do. This is what we're going to do. We're going to pray right now that we would grow in light of the gospel as people who love God and love others. We're going to pray that we would grow as a people of prayer with a deep passion for connecting with God and for hearing his voice and for sharing our hearts with him and then doing all the things that he calls us to do that we would grow. We're going to pray that we would grow as people of prayer who love and enjoy and seek God and serve him faithfully with joy. How about we pray together as we close and we'll pray in line with what Paul prays at the very end of Ephesians 2. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this great gift that your letter to the church in Ephesus is to us. And we thank you, God, that you have not only, as we looked at in the early chapters of of Ephesians chapters 1 to 3, Lord, you've done all this incredible work. We were once this way, but now we're this because of Christ Jesus. And time and time again, you show the the old and then the new out of love and, and what you've done for us through love and just through your faithfulness. And we just say, Jesus, we are so grateful to you. Thank you that we are no longer dead, but we are alive in you. Thank you, Jesus, that you have saved us and that we are free right now to embrace new life, life in all its fullness with you. And God, we just see even right now that we are in a, we're in a battle. We're in a spiritual battle. And God, we know all the armor is so key. And so God, we pray that you would help us to put into to practice that, that kind of daily thinking, that daily prayerfulness, so that we are recognized, that we are equipped, that we are protected, that you've given us every tool we would need to stand against Satan and continue to be victorious against his evil schemes. And God, as we've seen, we just recognize God and we cry out that you would develop in our hearts and in our lives, Lord, just such a a prayerfulness, a prayerful spirit, a joy to pray in each and every one of us, God. Prayer is so foundational. It is everything. And Lord, we pray, Holy Spirit, make it Make that true for each of us in the deepest parts of our beings. Lord, give us a passion to talk with you. Give us a passion to connect with you. Give us a passion to share our hearts and pour out what we're feeling and going through with you, God, the only one who truly cares in the fullest sense. So, God, we pray in line also with what Paul writes in the final verses of Ephesians. And we pray peace to all our brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. May your grace be with all of us who love you, our Lord Jesus Christ, with love incorruptible. God, we thank you. We praise you for all that you have imparted to our hearts through 
this teaching series in Ephesians. And we pray all of this would take deep root in each and every one of us. We pray this in the precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.